Deborah just said, hey, his back is jacked up. Why don't we pray for him? Thank you. So let's Thanks, pray Deborah. for him. Heavenly Father, we just lift up uh, Darren to you right now. We love him, you, but you love him so much more. Yeah, and we you, ask Lord. you, Lord God, in Jesus' name, yes, to touch Father. his back, touch his yes, body, Father. touch his mind, his spirit, and soul, Lord. And Father God, you are the source of our healing. You have prayed for you have paid for this in, in full, and we just ask for healing right now in Jesus' name. Yes, God. Father, Father, bring pay, peace. Father, bring bring healing. You are a God of healing, Father. We just we lay our, our pastor in your hands. We just thank you for what you're doing in his life. We thank you for the healing you're giving him in his body. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, y'all. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> Steve said, now do a little dance. And I said... The word says, you shall not test the Lord your God. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Deborah. Thank you, everybody, for praying. I appreciate it. Oh, man. Um, wow. Okay. Um, where do you go from there? <sighs> right? I'm feeling better now. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. God is good. <laughs> Ah, y'all make me giddy. Um, so I wanted to open today with one of the Psalms of David. We're going to look at Psalm 27 uh, to start with. Because one thing, what, you guys kind of changed the narrative this morning. Because I was going to start out talking about, because we're talking about worshiping through the hard times. And I was really going to lean into how my back's hurting. <laughs> and you guys have taken that from me. <laughs> so thank you. So let's just talk about David instead. So Psalm, Psalm 27, 1 through 6. David writes, The Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger, so why should I tremble? When evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid, even if I am attacked I will remain confident. I want to stop here for just a second and, and let you know that if you're, if you're needing the message notes, by the way, you can scan that. Uh, I think the QR code's there still on the, on the seat backs, and you can look on version. The message notes are on there. You can type in your notes along with it. Uh, so follow along. Um, so we're going to go here to Psalm 27, and David is saying here in verse 3, even if I am attacked, I will remain confident. Now this is the declaration of someone who is speaking from a, a spiritual reality, right? Because we'll get into in a second the context that David's writing this in, but when, what we know of David is that he's, he's, in his spirit, he is convinced of who God is and who he is in him, right? And that's where he's speaking from right now. It's confidence. It's confidence. Where does that kind of confidence come from? It comes from what he talks about in the next few verses. Verse 4, the one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing that I seek most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. For he will conceal me there when troubles come. He will hide me in his sanctuary. He will place me out of reach on a high rock. 
and then I will hold my head high above my enemies who surround me. At his sanctuary, I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy, singing and praising the Lord with music. What we find is that that confidence, knowing who God is and knowing uh, what, what he wants to do through us and in us and around us, that kind of confidence comes from having spent time in his presence. That kind of confidence comes from knowing who he is because you've sat with him. You, you've let him speak with you. You've, you've seen how he's healed you. <laughs> you've, seen, you've seen how he's come through when you thought there was no way. You've experienced the glory of his presence, and it's from that place that you can say, okay, this is going on in my life, but I know who he is. I have confidence that he who had begun a good work is faithful to complete it to the end. All right, so the source for this kind of confidence is, is the presence of God. And when we come here, we can do this anywhere, but specifically in the context of our church services. When we come here, you gotta know, I hope this isn't a surprise, but the presence of God is here before you walk in the door. We, we, we bring a measure of his presence in with us because he resides in us. But it's not like there's a deficit of God in the place, sorry, before you walk in, right? The, he, his presence is here. His spirit is here. And it's up to us in our, in, in our times of worship. And we can do that during the message. You can do that right now. Uh, I see there's a lot of tag students who are really deep in worship right now. That's amazing. Just leave them alone. They're getting it. They're soaking it up, I promise. Um, <laughs> got a couple youth leaders that are like, oh, this is the best. Yeah. So peaceful here. Um, so it's up to us during our times of worship to really kind of lay it all out there. Let go of everything, as Jennifer said, let go of the wheel and, and, and open up our hands, open up our eyes, open up our spirit so that we can experience his presence. It's easy in worship to make it an activity of habit, right? We, do, we, we worship because, oh, well, that's the time in the service and we're supposed to do that. We worship because, oh, everybody else is singing, so I guess I should sing too. We worship because that's what's expected of us. And, and what we need to come back to is honestly asking the question, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? Adrian was asking us earlier, he said, sing with me. Why are we doing that? That's the question we need to ask ourselves, Okay. I appreciate you inviting me to sing. I need to get down to why I'm doing that. What am I doing here? And, and that, that comes back to asking ourselves some really honest questions, right? The, the answer that we're hoping to arrive at is that we're here to present ourselves to him. We're here to offer up a sacrifice, and we're here to be in his presence. But if we're really honest, there are times when we kind of miss out on the fullness of what it means to present ourselves to him because we're only presenting certain parts of ourselves to him in worship. Um, and that's especially true if we're going through something difficult or personally challenging. And that's where I was going to bring out this killer analogy about my back. And gosh, guys, what are y'all doing? <sighs> All right. So honesty in worship, though, is a, is a must. We're going to go to John 4, 23 and 24. But the time is coming 
Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Basically, the Father is seeking from us honest and supernatural worship. Now, when I say supernatural worship, I'm not talking about like you have to exhibit some powers and like shoot like laser beams and stuff like that. I'm not talking about Marvel level supernatural. I'm talking about stuff that goes beyond what the natural world would be leading you to do. That's supernatural. That's above the natural response. That's what supernatural is. It's something above and beyond what we can expect by natural law or by circumstance, right? Worship is not escapism. And that's something important for us to get. I know each of us came in today with, with something that we're not happy with in our lives, something that we wish would be better, something we wish would be different, something we wish would go away, something that's troubling us. And it could be something monumental that is just like taking every waking thought. It could be something just super annoying, but you want it to go away. But I want to remind us here this morning that when we come into worship, it's not so that we can get away from that thing. Worship is not escapism. Worship is not us coming in and, Lord, I'm going to present this to you, these, these parts that I'm excited about, and let's just forget the world for a while. Let's just forget the trouble, right? That's, that's not supernatural. Worship is when we bring everything to the feet of Jesus. I heard a, a worship leader was talking one time at a conference I was at and said, in worship, I need to show I need to come, come there with everything that I am and everything that I'm not. And I need to be willing to show both of those sides to the Lord. Um, we know what we're going through in the natural, right? We know the things that troubled us before we walked in the door. Uh, we've thought about those things. We've been frustrated by those things, and we want those things to go away. But when we come to worship Him, we bring those things in with us, we lay them at the feet of Jesus, and then we choose to put, set our eyes above them, to set our eyes, Lord, this is here. This is a part of me. Even so, I'm going to worship you today. I choose to lift you up, you who are above and over all things. And that is literally the definition of supernatural. He is supernatural. We bring our natural stuff to him. We look up at him, and he takes us above and beyond. And in spite of all the stuff that we think, oh man, I could never go to God with this. But he takes it. Honesty and supernatural worship is what God wants from us, and it's what he wants for us. I just finished reading an amazing book called, um, called On Living Well by Eugene Peterson, who wrote the message version of the Bible. Um, so, so amazing. There's, there's something in there. Uh, Eugene Peterson says this, people's lives are only as good as their worship. It is so true. People's lives are only as good as their worship. The, the degree and the extent to which we're willing to present our entire self to God is the degree and extent to which he can take charge of that and then take it beyond what we thought, beyond what we can ask or think, beyond what we can imagine. 
but God is going to have a lot of trouble doing something with the parts of a life that I won't give up to him, right? And this is what the Psalms and the scriptures teach us, right? That Jesus is Lord over our entire life. And our worship needs to include the full spectrum of who we are. We don't just bring a part of ourselves to him. We're supposed to surrender every part to him. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go back and we're going to put Psalm 27 that we started with, we're going to put that in context. David, at this point, David has been anointed and called in this really cool, dramatic fashion where his own father overlooked him. And the prophet says, wait, 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 no, you got another son around here somewhere. Maybe he's like hanging out with the sheep or something. And his dad says, oh, yeah, it's the sheep son. Yeah, totally. I bring him in. Oh, whatever. You know, I, uh, it's Dave, but, you know, maybe, maybe he's the guy. I don't know. So David was called out and anointed and declared by the prophet of the Lord that he was going to be the king of the Lord's people. And then he spends a really long time with everything in his life trying to keep him from walking in that destiny. He's being, at this point, the, the, most scholars would agree at Psalm, by the time he's writing Psalm 27, he's being pursued by Saul, who's the current king who just will not let go. David used to serve Saul. For anybody who's not familiar with, uh, with the story, David used to serve Saul. Um, and he, his, Saul's son is David's best bud, right? And Saul wants to kill David, and he's been pursuing him over the countryside after him, trying to eliminate this threat to his kingdom. So at this point, David's writing Psalm 27. Now we just read where he says, you know, the, the Lord is going to deliver me. The Lord's going to save me. My confidence is in him. I believe that that's David's spirit speaking out. But one thing I love about David is that he's not shy about presenting the whole thing. Sometimes you're like, oh, Dave, all right, man, I don't, TMI, I don't, I don't want to know all that. But David is very, very okay with presenting every part of who he is to the Lord. And that's where we get into Psalm 27, verses 7 through 10. Hear me as I pray, O Lord. Now, he's just been declaring, this is who God is. God is my salvation. God is my deliverer. I put my total confidence in him. So it seems a little strange that he would follow that up with, please hear me, Lord. But he does. Hear me as I pray, O Lord. Be merciful and answer me. My heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I'm coming. Do not turn your back on me. Do not reject your servant in anger. You have always been my helper. Don't leave me now. Don't abandon me. God of my salvation, even if my father and my mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. Teach me how to live, Lord. Lead me along the right path, for my enemies are waiting for me. Don't let me fall into their hands, for they accuse me of things that I've never done. With every breath, they threaten me with violence. Yet I'm confident that I will see the Lord's goodness while I am here in the land of the living. David's writing from this place of honesty, it's, it's, it's a transition that he's made in the middle of his worship. Because we get the benefit of being able to take a couple verses and then break them up, talk about them, take a couple more verses. But David is, he's writing this thing out. He's, he's singing it out, actually. He's singing it out 
as it's coming to him. And he's going through this full gamut of emotions and, and he's declaring he's up on the mountain and then he's remembering what's happening to him and he's down in the valley. But then he has to encourage himself and he's back up on the mountain again. And, and, and what we learn from David here is that he's beginning confidently and the confidence is truly coming from the Lord. His spirit knows certain things to be true about God and he's declaring from that place the things that he feels in his heart God is, is shown him. He's declaring from his spirit the things to be true. But we are th- three parts, right? We're body, mind, and spirit. And sometimes the spirit knows things that the mind starts to question. Sometimes the spirit knows things that our will, our body says, yeah, I'm not willing to follow up with that. I'm scared of that. And so what David's got to do here, and this is what he's doing, I believe, in verses 7 through 10. So he knows that God's going to save him and protect him. He knows that God's never going to leave him or abandon him. He knows this deep in the core of his being. He knows this in his spirit. But just like us, his mind and his will need to be reminded. They need to be encouraged. So he needs to declare it out loud. We saw this in a psalm that we went into two weeks ago. He needs to speak it out, if only just to remind himself. Why so downcast, my soul? Put your hope in God, speaking to his very soul to get in line with what his spirit knows to be true. But there's parts of him that are resistant, so he's got to speak to that. Metaphorically, he's got to speak to the mountain, and the mountain is him. The mountain is you. There are times you've got to speak to the mountain, and the mountain is you. He needs to declare it out loud. He needs to command that his mind and his will come into agreement with his spirit. Honesty about our situation. Honesty about our doubts. Honesty about our fears. Honesty about what's really going on. I don't think it's too far to say that that's what's missing from our worship so often honesty about what's really happening. I'm not saying that we need to write songs about how terrible things are. There are some bands that do that. Don't get me started. Sorry. There's, uh, anyway, so I'm not saying we need to write songs that dwell on how bad things are, but I think that we, we undermine what God might be trying to do in our lives and the fullness of it when we don't bring those things to him in worship. When we, we declare it out there, we say, God, I'm coming to you with this. This is what's happening in my life right now. This is the state of my heart right now. This is the doubt that I have that you're gonna come through. This is, the, my, this is my problem, God, and I'm coming to you with it. I'm choosing to worship you in the middle of it because my spirit knows things that my situation doesn't know. My spirit knows things that my mind isn't wanting to get into agreement with. If you've ever seen God come through for you, if you've ever been down and whether it was some supernatural thing where it just happened inside or someone came by and lifted you up unexpected, then you've seen the hand of God working in your life. You've seen it. You've known that he lifts up those who are downcast. 
He picks up those who are in despair. He loves without measure, and he shows grace to those who will have grace shown to them, right? To those who will receive it, he'll pour out everything. And if you've had that instance, then your spirit knows who God is. But sometimes our mind resists because our doubts get in the way, and we think that the wheel belongs to us. And it doesn't. Jesus wants to present, Jesus wants us to present our whole person to him in worship. Everything we are, everything we're not. Everything we're good at, which is the part we usually want to show, especially like on a church morning. Everything we're good at, but also the stuff where we need some work. He wants us to show it all. We all need to be okay with that, by the way. We need to be okay with that. Because if we're not okay with that, it won't happen here. If we disdain somebody coming in in honesty, then they won't come in. If we don't show the love of God to people who are worshiping their way through things, then they won't worship their way through things with us. Right? We need, it's uh, Romans 2.4, it's the kindness of God that draws us to repentance. It's the kindness of God that draws us to repentance. Jesus wants us to present our whole person to him in worship, not just our persona. We get enough of personas, like if you scroll, if you have a social media feed, you, you see a lot of personas. There's not a ton of reality going on there, Right? It's all the stuff that we want everybody to see because the other stuff is embarrassing and it causes too many questions and too many conversations. God doesn't want our profile. He wants us. He wants us to present ourselves to him in worship. And we see David doing that in worship with that kind of honesty like throughout the Psalms. We saw it in Psalm 27. We're going to take a look at Psalm 13 really quickly. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? Amen. Adrian's going to open up one day in like that hit song, Will You Forget Me Forever? It's going to be such an honest moment. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and, and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I've overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. And here's the really important part of this message. We're talking about worshiping your way through it. We're talking about being honest in worship, presenting who you are presenting who you're not, presenting all of the good and all of the bad to the Lord. And take a look at how David does it. He begins with his doubts. He begins with, okay, if we're ever going to have any kind of relationship, I just got to be honest. I just got to let this out. Are you really going to just like ignore me? God, are you going to ignore me? And if so, how long? kind of want to know. This is important because I've got real problems happening, and what I don't want to have happen is for people to say, oh, look at that. His problems overtook him. His God wasn't able to help him. 
I don't want that to be my testimony. And so I'm asking, talk to me. Tell me. And, he be, and, and the, the very last verse there, it starts with a very important word, but. But I trust in your unfailing love. There's a t- term in poetry and music, and it's, it's called volta. And the volta in poetry is a point where, uh, where the, the narrator has been speaking along with one tone, with one, with one perspective, and then there's a dramatic turn in perspective. And it changes the way the rest of the poem goes, right? It's the volta. It's the pivot point. And what you see in a lot of David's psalms is they, they include a pivot point. Sometimes one, sometimes more than one. Because he's just being honest. Sometimes there's more than one pivot point where he, he, you can see him talking himself through it. You can see him talking with the Lord and working through it. You can see him slowly start to lift his eyes from the situation and remember who's called him and remember who's leading him and remember who's there in his corner. And his eyes go from being, being on a situation and enthroning the problem to eventually, but I will trust in your unfailing love. I know who you are, and I know who I serve, and I know that I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. David's psalms always include this pivot point between what he knows to be true of God in his spirit and what he needs to declare is true of God in the natural. And all of that is worship. All of it is worship. It's an act of love and obedience to the Father. That is worship. Two quick keys, two quick things about worshiping through hard times. We're going to look at Psalm 84, 4 through 7. What joy for those who can live in your house, always singing your praises. What joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord, who have set their minds on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. When they walk through the valley of weeping, it will become a place of refreshing springs. The autumn rains will clothe it with blessings. They will continue to grow stronger, and each of them will appear before God in Jerusalem. There's a key word there that we need to embrace as we're living our lives, determined to worship Him through all things. And that word is pilgrimage. Pilgrimage. A pilgrim is someone who goes before someone who uh, goes into new territory. They haven't been before. Sometimes that no one's been before. A pilgrim is someone who's on a long journey. It's not a sprint. It's not a sprint. We, our Christian lives are not a Sunday sprint where we come in and we, we sing four or five songs and then we're good for the rest of the week. It's not that way. It's a part of our pilgrimage. It's an opportunity for us to come together and all embrace God and worship together, but it's intended to fuel the rest of our week. It's intended to to remind us that we're not alone. It's intended to give us a a safe space where we know we can enthrone God, and we're here with other people who are going to do exactly the same thing. The pilgrimage is a metaphor for our lives and for our worship. In uh, The Art of War, I think it's The Art of War, Sun Tzu says... A journey of a thousand miles begins with but a single step, right? Journey of a thousand miles begins with but a single step, which is super encouraging and super great for that first step, 
but also it's still a journey of a thousand miles. Right? I mean, that first step was great. Thanks for walking me through that soon. I appreciate that. But I've still got 999.9 more miles to go. It's a pilgrimage. The first step is important. But if that's the only step we take forward, then we've still got a thousand miles to go. Right? Uh, when we worship in the middle of difficulty, things change for us. On a thousand mile journey, you're going to be walking through all the seasons. A thousand mile journey doesn't get finished like in a week if you're walking. You know, you're going to be walking through some hard times. You're going to be walking through some challenges. You're going to be walking through some seasons that are not incredibly encouraging. And when we worship him in the middle of that, things change for us. We're going to read a psalm of Asaph that, uh, that highlights another important aspect of worship during hard times. Uh, psalm 73. We're going to look at verses 1 through 3 and then 16 and 17. We're going to look at them together. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold because I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. You ever been like that? You take a look, I'm doing everything right, God, and somebody who's doing everything wrong is getting all the stuff. What's fair about that is what my mind starts thinking, and that's what Asaph's mind was thinking. He's, <laughs> I had nearly lost my foothold, like the, the place I'm standing on. I nearly lost my ground because I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. 16 and 17 says, when I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply until I entered the sanctuary of God and then I understood their final destiny. When we're going through hard times, it feels like things are happening to us, right? It feels like all, all of everything is conspiring to make sure that our lives are hard. And I don't know, sometimes that might be true. There might be forces conspiring against us. But the core question is, is that going to change who your God is? Is that going to change your response? Because if it, yeah, if it, if it changes your response, you know, well, when things get hard, I'm just going to like camp out here for a little bit until things get easy and then I'll worship him. It's a thousand mile journey. You don't want to just take a rest every time things get hard. We need to worship our way through it. And as we do, as this psalm says, as we choose to enter his sanctuary through worship, and I'm not talking about a physical sanctuary, I'm talking about the covering of the Lord, his safety, his sanctuary, the place where we find peace and rest, his presence. As we enter his presence, he changes our perspective. And we understand, oh, I see what's really important here. I don't know if I am going to get all that stuff, but I know who I have. I know who I have here in my heart and in my corner and in my life, and that's worth more than the stuff. It changes our perspective when we enter his sanctuary and begin to worship. I'm going to take a look very quickly at Paul and Silas, Acts 16, 22 through 34. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. At the very least, that hasn't happened to you, right? I mean, at the very least, right? 
Count your blessings. You're not being stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet to the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. I think it's important here to note the other prisoners were listening. They're all in the same situation. They all have the opportunity to respond the same way. But when, he, when you respond differently, this is really profound. If you want to make a difference, you have to act different. Yep. That's true. If you want to make a difference, you have to act different. And Paul and Silas choose to worship him in the middle of jail, in the middle of chains. And it says... The other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. Everyone's chains came loose. There is power in your worship during hard times. It can break the chains off other people. It can help them to see things in a different way, to know that there's a way out. There's a way through. There's a way over. Your worship, your life in God is not just about you. It's about those who you come in contact with. And if you want to make a difference, we have to be different. At once the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and he was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. Having a worship night. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and he asked, sir, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. Once again, it's not just about you. You and your household will be saved. They then spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds, and then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. The true essence of worship is not found when we're on the mountaintop and everything is going great and there's no challenge. The true expression and true measure of worship is found in the middle of the crisis, in the middle of the challenge, in the middle of the hard time. And when pressure comes upon you, I heard Clayton say this in one of his, uh, one of his messages. I think it was the last message you preached. I'm going to quote you to you. When pressure comes upon you, you get squeezed. What is it that gets squeezed out of you? right? Hopefully, we can allow the Lord to work in our hearts, in our vision, in our minds, in our spirits enough to where when the pressure comes, it doesn't crush us. But what comes out is worship. What comes out is faith. And that's what worship is ultimately all about. Worship is ultimately all about faith. It's about confessing and believing that God is who he says he is, no matter what's happening to me right now. God is who he says he is.